Hello, this is uh, the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I am your host, Dexter Kearley. Thank you for joining me. Um, Right now, in my neck of the woods, it's cloudy and cold, and it's not snowing. The only thing we needed to do in Amarillo, Texas is freaking snow, and it just will not do it. We get the cold, we get the clouds, uh, but we don't get the snow. So, anyway... um, Thank you for joining me. Uh, This episode, as indicated by the title, is a ramble, which means it's just me sitting in a room with a microphone. I've got some stuff jotted down that I'm going to talk about, Um, and that's it. It's not a super, you know, sometimes I try to interview people, and, uh, you know, today I'm just going to go solo, so uh, just warning you. There's not going to be a guest on this show. Um, With that, I'll jump into a few announcements. My first one being that the the Panhandle Podcast Meetup is March 24th, 2018. Um, It's going to be at the Amarillo Art Institute. Um, It's going to be a fundraiser for the Amarillo Art Institute. Or fundraiser? Benefit? I don't know what the proper, like, terminology for that is, but... Anyway, the event's going to be to raise money so that they can expand their art school and offer more classes and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, but I also think that they're going to have at that event, she's going to try to have a, one of the guys that tosses clay and makes those clay bowls and stuff. I think she's going to have him on his little wheel or whatever, you know, doing a demonstration. And we're also going to have live music with uh, Hayden Pedigo. Um, he's just gonna do a little jam for a little little section of the show. Um, we're gonna have pizza. Labella's Pizza is gonna be there. Um, but anyway, it should be a fun event. Um, if you're interested, uh, I have a Facebook event open. Um, you can look on my website, uh, panhandleprimate.squarespace.com. Uh, there's an events tab that I just put in. Or you can go to the Amarillo Art Institute, their website. They have like an events section, and you can go down and kind of see it. Um, right now, we're planning ten dollars um, to get in, and you know we're we're trying to get some beer, and we've already got the pizza. So anyway, um, more to come on that. Um, as we, as I figure it out, you know, I'll pitch it out on a podcast and try to advertise it a little bit. So, anyway, uh, March twenty fourth, if you're interested. Um, the next thing is May nineteenth. Uh, I'll be in Denver running the Colfax Half Marathon, and it's a pretty cool half marathon. My wife has done it, and a couple other people I know have done it. They say it's just a real fun course. You run through real pretty parts of Denver, and uh, just for me. Just running through a big city is kind of a cool experience because I don't live in... Amarillo doesn't have these super... It's got some pretty tall buildings, um, but it doesn't have that big city feel. Uh, So it's really fun. Just a good run. It's half marathon through uh, Colfax, like historical, I think, district of Denver. Um, But uh, if, if you... What, I t- what I've been telling people is if you can run a 5K, which means like steady, keep a good pace the whole way through the end of the 5K, then you can train for a half marathon. You, you know, you <clears throat> it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. There's going to be times when you don't feel like running and you kind of need to get out and do a three or four mile run. But it's really not too bad training for a half. Um, but it also... <clears throat> so. If you need any encouragement or want to get psyched on running, like if that's something that's been in the back of your mind, there's two resources that I would direct you to. One is the book Born to Run. And I <clears throat> I feel kind of shitty now. I, sh- I was writing down all my notes and I was trying to be kind of informative in it. And I didn't even write down the guy's name who, who wrote the book Born to Run. But anyway, I'll have a link to it in my... Um, description. Um, it's an awesome book. A, I think the guy the guy was a uh, writer for Men's Health magazine, and he had always wanted to run. 
but was a bigger dude. And so every time he started pushing his miles, he would get injured or have like a nagging pain, like a, like there's a difference between hurt when you're running, like the the necessary hurt of just training and like an injury or an overuse injury. Those are very specific things that you have to treat uh, very specifically in order to not turn into like debilitating injuries um, with stretching and different stuff. Uh, but anyway, so he was having all these nagging injuries and he'd go to doctors and they would just say, dude, you're a big guy. You weren't meant to run. And I guess it always bothered him because uh, he always felt like, no, you know, I'm a human being, like I'm built to run. And so that's what the story goes into is him figuring out that humanity, humans, our ancestors were the best long distance runners, long distance mammals, and that that was probably the reason that we survived um, and thrived, you know, really got creative was the fact that our ancestors could do persistence hunting, which is run down an animal until they literally are so tired that they have to lay down. You can walk up and like stab them, you know, like it's a lot safer to do those things at a distance when you don't have a doctor or a hospital to fix a broken leg. Anyway, Born to Run, uh, I listened to it on Audible actually as I was running. That was one of the, you know, I, I bought it on Audible and anytime I'd start a run, I'd just throw it in, kind of get lost in the story. And before I knew it, I was like wanting to run more miles so that I could listen longer to the pot or to, in that case, a book. Later, it became podcast. But anyway, Born to Run, that's a great resource. Also, this dude, um, for the for the non-squeamish, I mean, this dude, uh, David uh, Goggins, he was on Joe Rogan Experience. Uh, this past week, he's, you know, uh, does like cusses a lot and stuff. So I don't, you know, if you're sensitive to curse words, uh, maybe don't listen to it. But if you're really wanting to get psyched on any sort of goal, I would say mostly physical. Like for me, listening to that dude makes me want to go run. Like that's the emotion or the, uh, the thought elicited from like listening to him speak is I'm like, oh, dang, man, I need to go run, you know? Like, he just kind of psychs me up. Um, and it's a cool, it's a good it's a good episode. Uh, listen to that. He, I've had uh, several friends actually this week hit me up and say, dude, that Joe Rogan experience with David Goggins got me psyched and I want to run or I want to work out harder or I want to, you know, do something. I mean, the dude's just uh, got a very cool story. So, if you're interested in running at all, those are the two resources, Born to Run and David Goggins on Joe Rogan Experience. Check those two things out, and if those don't um, motivate you or get you in the mood to wanting to run, eh, maybe running's not for you right now, but um, I've, I don't know. Anyway, the other announcement, third and final announcement is that Shannon, my wife, uh, got into graduate school. So she got into um, Texas Tech uh, School, I guess, of English. But she's going for, the way she's described it to me, is that she's going to get her uh, like primary degree um, in literature, and it will have like a sub-degree in linguistics. Which is what she's really into. I mean, she loves literature and she loves all all that as well. But what she's really into is like the linguistics uh, side of language, um, which would be like, uh, man, I watched this video. If you're interested at all in learning more about linguistics, there was a video. I think it's a Big Think uh, video with Steven Pinkard. It was on, I think, YouTube, um, but it's an hour. This dude's a Harvard professor. Um, which, which is funny because one of the other guys I listened to, Chris Ryan, uh, tangentially speaking is his podcast, but, um, he has some conflicting, uh, ideas or theories about humanity, um, that contradict some of the other things that Steven Pinkard says, but in linguistics, in that specific area, you know, this guy's just teaching about it. So he's teaching you about, Noam Chomsky and 
I guess, like, linguistics maybe goes back to the 1800s. Like, these dudes were starting to build these uh, theories and these concepts around, like, language acquisition and what the brain's doing and how your brain sees the world and all this weird stuff. I mean, it's pretty advanced. Like, it's, it's over my head. Most of it's over my head, for sure. Like, well over my head. But... Anyway, so linguistics started back then with some crazy dude, I'm sure. You can watch all this in the video. But um, what really changed was this dude named Noam Chomsky came into the picture. And when he came in, he was like, there's a universal grammar um, around like just being a human, you know? So no matter, you, it's like a, it's like taking a floppy disk that's just good at storing a certain type of you know, information from a computer and sticking it into the computer. It doesn't matter which computer you stick it into as long as the software on the computer can be uploaded to the floppy disk, the floppy disk will, you know, anyway, that's probably a terrible analogy. But he's saying you could take a baby and put them around any language, even pigeon languages, like even languages that aren't languages yet or aren't um, the only thing that changes, I think, is like when you start writing down language, that halts like the linguistic changes because it standardizes it. But these pidgin languages, anyway, these kids, they will build these complex um, grammatical rules into the language the same way that anybody does. So it's the way you speak isn't a, a result of your intelligence. It's a result of your environment and the language that you were uploaded with when you were growing up. Kind of thing, I think. You know, it's it's pretty interesting field just in general, but I think that's how Noam Chomsky maybe changed it. But now they do a lot of it is a lot of linguistic work is with children before the age of five. Because you learn something ridiculous like ninety percent of your lexicon um from like before the age of five. So one of, they say one of the greatest indicators of a uh, high intelligence level for later in life is how many words you were spoken to as a child. So if you were hearing, you know, a thousand words a day versus 10,000 words a day versus 100,000 words a day, the kid that was hearing 100,000 words a day later in life is more is more intelligent or more successful or whatever you want to say you know um it just gives you a huge leap forward in understanding the world the more words that you hear as a child so linguistics is all about that kind of stuff and shannon got into that school so she's going to be learning a lot more and i need to have her on someday because she if she listens to this or listen to it, she would probably have a ton of problems. I mean, anybody who knows what they're talking about. So anybody who's actually linguistically educated would understand that everything I said was like way watered down and most of it probably wrong, maybe in the right vein, but all of it wrong. So I need to have Shannon on someday just to talk about that because it is fascinating. Like, um, it is fascinating how the how the human mind naturally does so many advanced maneuvers um on its own just naturally uh and then you know then the fact that ling- language is only a percentage of the way we communicate which is like a lot of bo- i don't know it's crazy so the human mind is a crazy thing linguistics proves it indicates it and points to it or whatever so um that's what she's going to be studying, and I am 14 minutes into this thing, and I'm just getting four lines down my sheet of paper. So, speaking of Shannon, um, the first song I'm going to... Oh, that's another thing. I didn't even tell anybody about this, but during rambles, I try to play a little bit more music. I try to play a couple of different... I try to get like a like a, like a couple of variety of music on, and uh, so this week... Uh, since I was my last announcement was Shannon, I, I went back and grabbed. Um, so when we were dating, this was early on, maybe two or three dates in, um, we exchanged CDs. We both she would listen to like uh, Texas country back then, and it's funny. I needed to play some of those songs because uh, it's a it's it's a good form of country that I don't know about the world. I don't know if the world knows about Texas country, but 
uh, there was a very specific time when uh, they were putting out some damn good music. Anyway, so she made me, I was wanting like more Texas country because I didn't listen to very much country. So I was like, you make me a CD of Texas country and I'll make you a CD of my music that I think you should hear, you know? And she was like, okay. Shannon's a college, in college uh, those days and stuff. And so she goes and puts this playlist together. It's all like dance music, you know, like um, not square dancing, two-stepping, you know, like going around in a circle and doing cowboy dancing or whatever. So she puts the, together this really fun CD, start to end. Uh, it's pretty good. Anyway, I make this CD, and I I don't exactly know what I was going for. I was really just saying, like, oh, I listen to this song a lot. I listen to this song a lot. Like, that's how I was making it. But I put this song, uh, The Funeral, by a Band of Horses on there. And she said, like, her and her mom were listening to it, I guess, like driving, driving around and the whole time they were like, what is this? What is this? Like, uh, they they thought it was super weird music or whatever. And this, this song in particular, but the first time I heard this song, the reason it really grabbed me was there's um, a video on YouTube of the funeral, Band of Horses, but this dude, um, man, I follow him on, Danny Milanakis, I think is what his name is. But he's like, riding around on this mountain bike through the city just doing all this crazy bmx jumping and flipping and uh like i mean awesome stuff just crazy awesome videos so that's what that's why i like the song was because i associated it with that she thought that i was being a weirdo by sending this but anyway it's still a rocking song like and i think she would admit that today it's a rocking song. I really like it. So I'm going to play it today on this cold February morning. So this is, um, I lost it. Okay. The Band of Horses, Everything All the Time was the name of the album. It was released in 2006. And this song is The Funeral.
me that song sounded romantic you know it kind of made me i don't know uh that was also like i was listening to that back whenever i was newly on the fire department pretty young kid um i don't know dope music fit me the right right at that time in life for sure so Anyway, so uh, my first topic of this episode, um, I'm going to talk about uh, the fact that you will leave a footprint, um, and the hope is to leave a good footprint. Um, It's natural to leave a footprint. I think that this is where liberals and conservatives um, oftentimes uh, disagree on like the environmental issue. And it's a silly place to disagree. I I agree disagreeing in other places, but this is a silly place, I believe, to disagree because the, you know, like a lot of people say, okay, going green, like a lot of conservatives would say, going green is just as impactful on the environment as using oil. And in a lot of ways, worse because of strip mining and getting a lot of the metals and stuff that you need for the um, that you need for the batteries of the cars is very oil uh, dependent, um, as well as energy. I mean, it just takes a huge amount of energy to get all that stuff out, and a lot of chemicals and. It's not necessarily the most environmentally friendly thing to do to the planet. So um, there's a lot of conservatives argue and say, well, you might say that uh, solar-powered roofs are cleaner than coal energy. But did you see this strip mine halfway around the world that nobody points cameras at that is responsible for the cells? in the or you know the metals and stuff that's kind of the to to, from what i've uh, gathered is like the conservative argument is saying yes but um green 
like windmills, this is one of argument I've heard a lot, is that the windmills um, in the Texas Panhandle especially, I mean, if you're in Texas Panhandle, you'll see a ton of these windmills, or down all the way through North Texas. Anyway, um, they would say in order to build one of those windmills, you have to use this much energy, and the amount of energy that the then windmill produces is not doesn't make up for the amount of energy you had to put into being able to produce it. And I agree with them, but some of that is just the cost of um, innovation. I mean, there was probably, you know, a hundred years ago, there was probably a guy that was saying, look, no, it will never go away from horse-drawn carriages. Like, those cars break down, you have to have a gas station. There's no gas stations. You, you We don't have the infrastructure for them. He would be saying, automobiles will never take off. We'll always be in horse-drawn carriages. You know what I'm saying? It takes a certain amount of it takes a certain amount of energy ju- to just proceed and pro and and have progress. So, no matter what, we're going to leave a footprint, uh, like a carbon footprint. Um, but we can choose to leave a better carbon or a better foot. Okay, so this is my point of the talk. So the hope is to leave a good footprint, not a bad footprint. There, it's inevitable that we will leave a footprint. That's just a result of reality. I mean, like nature, walking around, um, buying food at the grocery store, um, getting on our cell phone. Like that's the thing. There's data footprints that we're leaving. Um, what got me specifically thinking about this was I was cleaning out my in-laws bought me this notebook that I've been using. I use them to organize my shows and kind of working on some blogs and some short stories and just different ideas. So I had filled up the, uh, the notebook and I was having to put new pages in. Well, as I was taking the pages out, I realized, oh, I'll just save these at like kind of file them away or whatever. Um, so I was like cleaning out my notebook pages and then I was thinking how funny it would be if um, like in the future they they archive stuff. And I wonder if anybody ever looks back at me. Now granted I have a little footprint, right? I'm doing this podcast. I have some face I have a Facebook, I have Instagram. There's a lot of these different avenues that a future archaeologist could look into my life or a future psychologist, or a present psychologist, or a future artificial intelligent psychologist who's, you know, I mean, like there's, they have a lot of data to look back at and see. And so I was kind of, I was thinking about it uh, recently. I've been looking, I'm not even really looking into, but just, you know, different people have brought up like classical, um, well, classical authors, acclaimed authors that have these like large libraries back in them, like a guy like Aldous Huxley or, you know, he's got the books he wrote, but then he's got the thousands of notebooks he's written, you know, and he's got all of this archived information. These people are like digging through, trying to find out all this information about him, looking through his, uh, his footprint. And that's what kind of got me thinking about it and, and got me interested in it. And I was trying to think like, what is the difference? Well, there's a good footprint and a bad footprint. Um, Think of it as uh, a farmer, right? So there's all these new movements. We have all these like environmental disasters that people have got to acknowledge that are happening. Like, for instance, one is the bees are all disappearing. Um like in huge amounts and they're not really sure why they can't really figure out why they're dying um but that's one problem we've also got fresh water is going to be a huge problem in the next hundred years as civilizations and populations grow um and then topsoil degradation is another big problem over farming pulling too much nutrients and killing the soil people don't realize that soil is a living thing it's a living breathing thing which is kind of crazy to think about but 
um, a good soil, like a good healthy, you know, if you go to like an old growth, old growth forest, everything is alive. Like you, I imagine, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of the last time I've been in like an old, I don't know if, well, I was up in the redwoods. That would be considered an old growth forest, I think, but I'm talking about like Paul Stinnemans, like his whole thing with the mushrooms, like growing, um, in old growth forests, some of these mushrooms are like super rare and he, he created like a thing, a uh, vaccine for, um, oh shit, what was it? Smallpox, I think, out of a mushroom that grew in the old growth forest. Um, anyway, so we, we're going to leave a footprint. There's good footprints and there's bad footprints. There's intentional footprints and there's unintentional footprints. So it got me breaking the two types of footprints down into intentional footprints and then habitual footprints. Um, it, it always, it's interesting. So in Amarillo, Texas, uh, as people can imagine, it doesn't, I mean, I, we're like in currently in one of the longest droughts, I think on record, or maybe it just ended, but it was very little rain that we got. If it, if it ended it, I would be surprised. It just, my house didn't even get any rain, but, um, we're in like the longest period without rain. Like I think in, I think maybe on record, um, right now, but so the ground is just most places that aren't sprinklered. Um, you can see all these like tracks, everything's getting tracked out from people walking and it's natural to walk where other people walk on the path, you know? But Amarillo, Texas, it's a desert. It doesn't, it doesn't fill those back in. So you have all of these barren spots where everything's dead within this path. But on the edges of the path, you've got stuff that's happening. Unless the path gets really wide and it'll kill a whole section. Does that make sense? Um, I don't know if that makes sense. But anyway, we have all of these all around. So you can like look as you're driving through town. You see these just paths, just you know, habitual paths natural paths like sometimes habits they always lead to death though that's like kind of the my point is that habitual footprints are unconscious footprints it's when you're following the crowd you're uh, as jesus would say you're on the wide path and wide the the path that leads to destruction is wide the path that leads to salvation is narrow and i think that this is what he's talking about Habitual footprints are unconscious footprints. Um, they are predictable. So uh, they they are often in line with consumeristic things, principles. Like uh, there's an entire industry in America, well, really in the world, possibly has always been uh, existed. But that um, – sorry, my phone just buzzed. Do you see what it does when – when a phone buzzes, even if it's something important, it just like grabs your mind. Um, but anyway, so predictable and consumeristic, like uh, it's how advertisers can manipulate large portions of the population into buying the same thing, even if it's a shitty product like McDonald's and, you know, whatever, no hatred or anything. I'm not uh, nothing crazy, but. You know, McDonald's is, is not a healthy thing to eat um, ever, really. And, you know, it, so the predictability and the consumeristic nature um, creates a wasteland, essentially. Um, so you have to avoid those. You have to avoid the habitual with the intentional. So the intentional footprints are conscious footprints. And now think about like, think about the difference whenever you see a, somebody's backyard, which mine is not, mine is all dirt right now. Cause I, I think it's kind of silly to water through all winter, even though now I kind of wish I had, I, we were getting some port perspiration there for a little while consistently. Anyway, not important, but if you walk into the backyard of like a gardener, like an actual gardener, somebody who. Like I would say I'm a runner because I do it, you know, for probably mm, – I do it for probably at least a, an hour every time I run. So 
maybe four hours a week, you know, imagine somebody's putting more effort than that into this garden and they're pruning it and they're taking care of everything and they're, they're, they know about the plants, their backyard, their impact, their footprint, what they leave behind is actually a very different thing than that path where people are walking unconsciously, not paying attention. Um, just trying to get to where they're going. You know, the the amount of intention within your footprint can leave like these beautiful spaces. And I think, well, to to mention, um, like th- this is why people like philanthropists so much is because philanthropists turn around, they say, I realize that I'm going to be leaving um, an imprint on this town because I have money, like money to spend, big time money. So if I'm going to drop... $30,000, right? I want to make sure that I drop it into something that's going to benefit the town in some way, whether it's through entertainment or it's uh, through outreach type things like um, trying to trying to help a homeless person or trying to help, I mean, nutritionally, maybe trying to help people. Anyway, philanthropists, there's a ton of different ways helping people with cancer, man. That's a big one. Um but there's a ton of ways that they can spill money into the into the they can either do it that way or they can just buy thirty thousand dollars worth of fur coats, you know. Both leave an imprint. Both are spending the money, but one is an intentional footprint and the other one is kind of an unintentional and like I feel like the habitual is is like the selfish. That's where I find like habitual footprints in my own life is whenever I start I start doing these things and I realize that I'm doing them for me. I'm selfishly doing whatever I'm doing. And I know I'm leaving an impact, but the impact is for me. It's kind of an interesting um, concept. But these intentional footprints, I think that's the reason that people get so involved and enjoy church so much is because church really beyond which I got my next segments about knowing the answers is sometimes just a way of sidestepping the question. But um, a lot of the times when we go to church, we think it's to gain this knowledge and that um, sal- to get churchy talk, salvation comes through the knowledge that Jesus died and, and rose again or whatever. Um, but I really think that the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus and all of this stuff comes down to changing your habits. That's like, if you look at what the, the 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 four gospels say that Jesus said, is it was all about changing your habits, um, changing the things that you did unconsciously, in in putting a consciousness to your to your choices to where you're now have leaving intentional footprints. So instead of you know going around and being selfish and being an asshole and thinking that you're living, you know, then you change those habitual ones. You apply the rational mind, the intentional mind upon back onto your life. And then you see these, all these things that you can change, these habitual footprints that, um, like, like hate, hate is a habitual footprint. It's a, it's a, it's something that you don't necessarily consciously make the decision to do. You might justify it consciously. Um, and I think of like, like, um, like a lot of conspiracy theorists sometimes, like it seems like they will, they don't want the government to, they don't want the government to, to want them. They want this alienation. They want this uh, distance. So the story they tell themselves or the story that they see about um about the government is is conspiracy theory minded everything is against them everything is this you know it's a way of so like hate is a projection that you that you put sorry so that i'm going a little bit off of note the only word i have right there is hate and it's kind of hard sometimes to really get my mind around and say what i'm trying to say um about like the habitual footprint because it it is a it's a touchy subject when you get to talking to people because um, you don't 
hate is not a con- as conscious of a decision as a lot of people want to make it out to be. Um, and this is by no way me justifying. I'm saying that the only way to end hate um, that you have inside yourself or that the world has is um, is by acknowledging acknowledging that it's there and acknowledging that it's not there from a intellectual uh, place. A lot of times um, hate is based out of like fear or um, hate is, I mean, a lot of the times, a lot of the times it's the other, it's easier to hate. Like for instance, in the Cold War, it was the Americans versus the Russians. You know, you have all these, uh, like these distinctions that you're able to draw in between people. And then through those distinctions, you can then say, I hate that because you, you separate yourself from that, you know? Um, and that's, I believe a habitual thing. I think most of the times it results from the people that are directly around you. And then the stories that are directly around you. We, we forget that for like all of human history, all of human history, including today, we build and the people have built, and a lot of people have seen this as a uh, tool, right? That's where religions and dude, two trash trucks just drove down my alley, one right after another. It's kind of interesting. I would, you know, I guess maybe they're maybe one was almost full, so he was going to grab a couple, and then the next guy was going to finish them off or something. Um, anyway, speaking of footprints, I mean, trash, you know, like I was thinking about it last night because I always hate throwing away containers that are empty. So, so if I like, let's say we finish a thing oatmeal, it's a big container. I'll open it up and I'll stuff a bunch of trash inside it and then close it so that it doesn't eat up a whole lot of space within the trash bag. And I was thinking, man, I'm packaging my food or I packaging my food i'm packaging my trash the same way that they package my food and i was kind of it was funny i was like i wonder if i personally think in the future they'll look at like our our garbage heaps as resource um stashes sort of like i think recycling is going to become so easy that anytime you can find a large collection of refined materials, even if they're trash, so like plastics, glasses, aluminum, um, just different things like that, you'll be able to collect them, throw them into this 3D printer thing, smelter, you know, and then be able to print out little objects. So I think in the future, like there's going to be like a millionaire and it's like, oh, how, how's that guy? Oh, he's a billionaire? How, how's he? Oh, he owned the trash. He owned the trash heap. Oh, that makes perfect sense, you know, because our trash heap, I mean, if you think about it in the sense of like how Native Americans were, they didn't leave any trash. And it's it's funny to me that we assume we know so much about them um, whenever they archaeologically didn't leave the same type of uh, the same type of uh, um, footprint trash that we now leave. I mean, now they'd be able to. Uh, dig up my trash in 200 years and know exactly what kind of caloric intake I had, like the exact amount, like if I was overeating, undereating, malnourished, all just based off of my trash. Um, so talk about leaving a footprint, you know, it's hilarious that those tra- trash trucks just drove by. But um, anyway, so uh, I probably have rambled on about this long enough. I feel like, I mean, I'm at 44 minutes, so that was a long one um, about intentional footprints and habitual footprints um i think we as a culture as a society um and as like even smaller cultures like within your own family like if you're talking about like for me it's with my wife and my kid um i habitually check my phone so um anytime my phone goes off or anytime i walk by my phone i'll just hit the button oh okay nobody needs me you know like I, like I'm some, some, like I'm important or something like that's making me. So every time I walk by, I'll check it or I'll, Oh, somebody text message. Oh, I got you know, and I'll dive into my phone. 
I know Emmett's seeing that. Emmett's watching it. He's seeing it. Uh, my wife is watching it. She's seeing it. And it's for me, it's a habitual motion, right? Um, that I need to become aware of so that be, I need to become aware of my habitual uh, movements because my family sees my habitual movements. They, um, they deal with my habitual movements, if that makes sense. So, um, so check your footprints, man. Check your habitual footprints. This goes to work, man. Yeah, your culture at work. One of the things that I've always tried to be conscious of uh, at the fire department is picking on somebody and not because it's fun to pick on people and and I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. I've been picked on plenty. Um, But it's whenever, sometimes I realize that it almost goes a little too far. Um, But then it's a habitual thing. So it just keeps going on, you know, and um, man, it's, it's hard Sometimes it happens to me and afterwards I feel shitty about it. But it's even harder to see it happening um, because it's not a conscious thing and it's not it's not as extreme. No one's getting their feelings hurt. I'm not talking about anything crazy. Um, it's just uh, check your habitual footprints. Make sure that they're conscious. And as soon as you make conscious footprints – then you'll cultivate gardens in your tracks or something like that. So on this, uh, segueing into my next song, on this cold February day, uh, cloudy, you know, little little breezy, not too bad, not bad for Amarillo. Uh, I figure I need this. I don't know. You might be finding this on a sunny day. And if so, this next song will be perfect. But it's uh, Matt Costa off his 2006 uh, album songs we sing this song is called sunshine i hope you enjoy one two three four sunshine i'd really like to tell you oh my sunshine even though your skies are blue you're drying up my bed how can I get any rest now? Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la-la Someday You will get the best of me, oh Someday Probably when I'm old and gray I'm lying in my bed And I will soon be put to rest now Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la Drying up my bed How can I get any rest now? Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la-la And someday You will get the best of me, oh Someday Probably when I'm old and gray I'm lying in my bed And I will soon be put to rest Lying in my bed And I will soon be put to rest now I'm lying in my bed And I will soon be put to rest now Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la-la I hope you enjoyed that tune. Um, that was Matt Costa. 
he uh he also has a song called Mr. Pitiful. Um so he has he has that sunshine uh song. He has a video where he's like kind of in a basement. Um I'll link these. I'll link both of these in the in the comment or the description below, but he has one where he's just sitting in the basement and he's playing that song. And then there's another music video for Mr. Pitiful is a good one to check out. Um, Matt Costa, Mr. Pitiful. It's it's a cool song, man. I really like his style. It's kind of like um, it's deceptively simple. Like it's it's actually kind of a complicated. I mean, it's it's really good high level guitar playing, and the songs are really witty and clever. And but it all kind of like goes together, and it almost feels like a kid's song. Not in a not in a degrading way. Uh, whenever I say kid's song, I'm not meaning it like oh you know it's terrible. But it has kind of like a lighter feel to it, a deceptively lighter feel. Anyway, so um, I'm just gonna like bulldoze through this last one because I realize I'm at 51 minutes. Um, so I'm going to try to bulldoze through this last one. Uh, knowing the answer is sometimes just a way of sidestepping the question. This is something that I feel like our society at large has been doing, but I also feel like I've seen this in myself uh, recently where I'm trying to battle everything with knowledge. Um, there's been some like school shootings recently, all these tragic events, and I I always feel it's interesting to me because it's like I I hear the the stats on both sides and I hear all these justifications um not nobody is justifying the action everybody is condemning the action but in in through condemning the action it seems like we go to these um these we're we're going to these answers by sidestepping the question that's kind of an example but i didn't i wasn't really meaning to talk about any of that or like the political side of it because i think that this goes into so many it's so it's so much of a bigger thing than just the um than the political side of it i think that if we could if we could figure out this um then theology, like with religion, politics, there's traditional things. Um, there's all these things that sometimes when you just when you know the answer to the question, I'm terrible about this, by the way. I'm like kind of a um, I like to throw out names or I saw this or here's a theory or whatever, you know, even though half the time I don't know what what the hell I'm even talking about, you know, but um. So here's here's something that I wrote up about it. So a deeper understanding of knowing something only points to the fact that there is more um, to know. So uh, knowledge humbles. Questions answered on, only to show that there are always more questions. So like that's one of the cool things that I think that science does. I'm reading this book called The Beginning of Infinity. Um, and it's kind of cool. He's, he's talking a little bit, uh, about this. I wrote this a few days ago, but, uh, I like last night, this was kind of like what he was talking about with, with science is that as you answer these questions or as you ask these questions, like what are stars, for instance, I think this is an example he uses in the book, but if you say, what are stars and you just look, so now I'm sensing, right? I'm sitting on my back deck and I'm looking up. And I'm in the middle of a city, so I only see like 40 stars, right? So I'm looking up and I'm like, what are those dots, right? There's multiple different questions I'm asking, and there's multiple different answers to those questions that I'm asking, right? Um, those might just be satellites. They might not even be stars. Like They might just be a satellite in geosynchronous orbit above Amarillo, and the sun's hitting it just right, and it looks like a star. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. But I'm saying that there's there's a lot. My senses, this is what he says in the book, your senses can't tell you what that star is. You can think about it and you can imagine. And then you can get these this data back from like radio telescopes and then you can interpret it based off of how you imagine it to be. Um, 
And as long as how you imagine it to be your theory of something doesn't conflict with the actuality of the data that you have. Like for instance, you can't say the moon is a billion light years away. Um, you can't say that because it's not a billion light years away. It's a, it's a finite distance away. Like there's, it's a lot closer than 50, you know? So the data, so we, we could then say, okay, I'm going to send a laser from the earth to the moon and measure the time it takes to get to the moon and back to the earth. In that time, I know how fast the laser travels and then I can deduce through a proportion the distance from that the moon is from the earth, right? And so if, if I said it's 100 billion light years away, but then I do the math and it's like, well, no, it's not, it's not that far. It's not even a light year away. Um, so you, your theories have to match. So the questions are only answered are questions are answered only to show that there are always more questions lying on the other side. So like once you uh, kind of see what the star is, then there's all these questions like, well, what is around the star? What is in the solar system around the star? What our solar system compared to other solar systems? How does it stack up? Is it bigger? Is it smaller? Is it all these different things? So that's a cool book. You should read it. I'm only, like I said, I actually shouldn't have even brought up only like 50 pages into it, but that's kind of one of the things that he's already said that I kind of dug. Um, but uh, answers therefore produce more questions. And this is the curse of man is that um, we can always imagine more. So um, think about, think about this in like, um, okay, what's going to make me happy? A bigger house is going to make me happy. More money is going to make me happy. You have uh, you have all of these answers, you know, to what's going to make you happy, and you're not actually addressing the the question that's in front of you. Um, answers only produce more questions. Like for instance, whenever I do something that I truly love, like being in Hawaii. Uh, in playing in the water or being in Colorado and hiking in the mountains or climbing a rock somewhere, whenever I'm doing these things, um, that's, that's answering my question. My question is what makes me happy and those things make me happy. So it produces more questions like how can I do this more often or, or what is this feeling that I'm feeling? Is this happiness or is this, you know, is the, the reason that I like being in the mountains because I don't live there, right? It's a vacation. So it's only partially dependent on the fact that it's in the mountains. It's mostly dependent on the fact that I'm vacationing from life. And no matter where you live, your life is going to be there. So like sometimes people get these rose-colored glasses when they think about other places and they imagine their vacationing life is that other place or is how it would be in that other place. <sighs> anyway, that was tying it in. I'm not sure. That might have been loose, but the the curse of man is that we can always imagine more we're never content with where we're at which i mean i think you are sometimes like i'm pretty content and i know a lot of dudes that have this dialed in that are very content with their life and and grow more content with it each day it's called love you know like that's called satisfaction um so it is ambition if you learn to try and use it you will likely mishandle it. Okay, so that's that's another part of it is um, knowing the answer is sometimes sidestepping the question. Well, whenever you actually start asking the question, sometimes you're gonna mess up when you're doing it. Um, this is a little bit ooh, that's probably a little too lofty for me to go into right now. I don't really remember what I was thinking when I wrote that, but. That seems like it's talking about human nature and maybe is going in a different direction than this talk is going. But So I'll try to finish reading this real quick. Okay, for wide is the path that leads to destruction. I don't know why I threw that one in there. But make no mistake, there's a tombstone and even that is going to decay. So as you can see, I was like bouncing around this question a little bit. So sometimes I avoid the question too, knowing the answer is sometimes just a way of sidestepping the question in this as well. So um, aging is changing. I think what I'm talking about there is figuring out what you need to do within your life to ask yourself the actual question. Don't sidestep the question. Like for instance, if if I'm going to bed every night and I'm like, hurting right my lower back is hurting 
ask the question, why is my lower back hurting? It could be diet related. It could be an internal organ that is stress, uh, stressing for some reason. And I mean, like there's a ton of things that it could be, but you have to be willing to actually ask the question, actually ask what it is is that is hurting your back and be uh, receptive to the fact that there's a, they might say, dude, you need to stretch more. I mean, that's one of the things that this David Goggins says in uh, the Joe Rogan uh, podcast is he talks about how hard and how often he has to stretch in order to keep his body um, capable of performing and not – I think he like locked up at some point. It's a good podcast to listen to or you should just look into that guy. I'm sure, I'm sure that story is repeated. Um, it's a good story. But that's one of the things he says is you have to stretch, you know. So um, – so ask the, ask, the, ask the real question, am I happy in my life? Am I happy with what I'm doing? Am I happy with my fitness level? Am I happy with the way I'm eating? Am I happy with my footprint? You know, Figure out a way to ask that question um, and don't be afraid of the answer. Sometimes it's not the answer that we want. Sometimes it's like uh, whenever I was younger, I always thought like I would be like, man, why am I not happy? Um, and I'd, sometimes I'd blame it on not being in a relationship, right? So I'd be like, I just need a girl. So that's the reason I'm not happy is because I need a girl. And then I'd get the girl and then I'd be like, oh man, why am I not happy? Well, cause it's not the girl's job to make you happy, you know, like happiness. It, it's a way of, that was a way of me blaming, like thinking I knew the answer and sidestepping the entire question of if I'm happy or not has nothing to do with the girl that you're with, you know? Um, that can do a big deal. Like now, I mean, there's a lot of times whenever I'm unhappy and my wife makes me happier. So I can say she makes me happier, you know, but making, making yourself happy, that's yourself. You know, you have to figure out how to do that. So to finish this up, my wife and my kid just got home from the gym. So I'm going to, I'm, I got to peace out. So I'm going to have to speedball this last little section. Um, I am trying to make a splash at the bottom of a waterfall. So that's actually how I feel with this podcast is I know that there's if you have listened to a hundred or to a one hour and two minutes of my podcast, I thank you very much. And um please review my podcast on iTunes. Leave me a comment. I check that thing. It uh there's haven't been very many comments, so I don't check it super often, but I'm gonna try to start checking that thing more often. Um Leave me a review, leave me a comment, visit me at my website. Um, I've got a few short stories and some blogs. I've got my little events tab. I'm going to start trying to fill that up and put information in there. Um, And then I've got also a link to this podcast. If you're following me on um, any other uh, like iTunes or platform, um, like I said, just leave me a review or a comment. And that would be awesome. so I appreciate you taking this time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. I, it's uh, it surprises me sometimes. I'm a, I'm an hour and three minutes into this, and I'm uh, th- t- today before sitting down to this podcast was the first time that I had this like apprehension feeling of like, what am I doing? You know, um, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where like almost the the mundane, the monotonous, the things that you do all the time feels a little absurd, like the monotony and the absurdity. Um, but I was thinking about it today because there's so many great podcasts out there and there's so much great media for you to fill up your time with. And if you've made an hour and four minutes in this, I appreciate you. So thank you for filling up your free media time with me. Um, yeah, but reach out, touch me. Uh, well, just through social media stuff. Don't don't. I'm not like a super touchy feely person in reality, so don't actually touch me. I'm saying like more through like podcast, like through the website, through Instagram, through Facebook. I've got a Facebook uh, group called the the Primate Pod, the Panel Primate Podcast uh, Facebook group. Join, share. Um, I appreciate you people. I'm gonna leave you with a song that I've played on this podcast multiple times. It's um. Mick Jenkins off of his 2015 uh, album Alchemy, or Waves. The song is called Alchemy. I appreciate you people, and enjoy the rest of your day.
It's like turning nothing into everything. Starting with scraps and redefining what society thinks is quality. Like who thought up the gold standard? The haves. The have-nots ask not what you can do for them, but what have you done? When you're sick and you're tired or you're hungry and you're thirsty and you take that first bite of drink, you sip slow because truth is harsh and it burns, but it's also addictive. You want more to you. Drink. Mouth. the market murdering flows is blood on the carpet a crime scene gave him the light wait till i turn on the high beams niggas ain't seeing me drunk off this water you might just see three of me don't greet me as god my nigga i ain't no deity take off them water wings i'm losing water weight i've been on creatine curing my countenance creating this gold from the lead in my pencil i think i'm an alchemist and it's gon' take courage, no cowardly dogs in the pound We don't run around, no love lost or found Don't give a fuck about a clown Build them with the pros, conversation profound I was down on my luck, but I'm still myself Drinking all this water, trying to heal myself No, I keep it real, even still Homie, just want you to feel it I don't really ever feel myself Remember when I had to find a meal myself Fresh out of jail, crashed at my nigga Slims He ain't think twice about the shit The move was a roll of the dice Know the Lord on my side, cause some 63rd nights was a bitch Always knew that life wasn't this though Still had to get right with the wrist roll this dope With a little light and a pistol Low key, peep high, keep the peace, you know me